My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? My uncle abused me. The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. Hello, I'm Mandy Zucker, host of The Morning Meeting. Today on the show, I'm interviewing Dr. Kimberly Quinn. Dr. Quinn is a professor of psychology at Champlain College in Burlington, Vermont. She's also the well-being and success coach there. And today we're talking about innovative and creative ways to support mental health on campus. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, Kimberly, thank you so much for coming on The Morning Meeting. I'm thrilled to have you here today. I'm thrilled to be here, man. This is exciting. I heard you speak. You are a panelist, Chronicle of Higher Education's uh, webinar, and I thought you had such interesting ideas, and you've been really able to spark conversations about mental health in general on college campuses in such a unique and creative way that I thought it would be really interesting to have another conversation about that today. So thank you so much for coming on. For having me. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? You're up in Vermont. Um, so tell us a little bit about what you do there. Sure. I teach. I'm, I'm at Champlain College. That's where I kind of reside. And I, I have a sort of a hybrid role. I am a faculty member and I teach a course I designed called Mind Craft. So I always have to kind of do the dip because <laughs> otherwise, and I have some funny stories about that for another time, but because we're such a gaming school, but it's, it's just to make sure that folks know it's not mine with an E gaming. It's about the course is about optimal human functioning and life satisfaction. So that's one thing. And then I don't want to take too much time up on that stuff, but I also facilitate a club called Defense Against the Dark Arts. And it is actually not a Harry Potter club, though. The um, metaphor is there because the dark, you know, developing skills against these dark forces of anxiety and depression is largely what the club is about. And then we do some trivia nights and things like that, too. But it's, it's largely student, very interactive student discussion about what they need and want to talk about, you know, relationships, addiction, all that stuff. And then I host a bunch of I call them minis. But little little workshops for resiliency, and there's a whole list of things like that. That's basically what I'm up to. Like even just the name, right? Defending against the dark arts. That was just. Why did you decide to come up with a name like that instead of like anxiety and depression workshop or club? You know. I think I'm having a memory of when of when you and I were were first talking when I was getting my windshield fixed, and and I, I've done this before with people. I said, you know, even for seasoned grownups, never mind you know, the young adults, does anyone want to attend, a, a, you know, a, a support group, even the words support group, right? Or I, I think of, you know, my, my New York might come out, but you know, uh, there will be a depression support group at the bottom of St. Jude's Church. We'll have donuts and probably very bad coffee. Like who wants, who's going to go? If you, if you announce, let's come to a depression thing, you're attracting more depression anyway, mentally, right? And so the fact that it's a club and we call them meetings because they are, they're meetings, not appointments or sessions, is I think there's a lot to be said for packaging, you know, Mandy, and I've overheard some, I'm, they're also called wizards in training. So I've also overheard some of my wizards say, I really like this club. This club is, do you like this club? And, and, 
and and they when you when you kind of lead the way with the wording it sticks you know i i i wouldn't want to go to depression support group you're supporting depression how do you even interpret that do you know what i mean yeah that's a really good point and that you you know people do have this like impression of these support groups you're right that they're in the church basements you know i remember many people who have come to see you know where i work or i used to work in a um a grief support center and it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. People didn't even want to come in. Sometimes they were afraid. They thought it was literally going to be this dark, dingy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very depressing place. So changing the names really does matter. I think it matters a lot, actually. And because I've, I've got people in re- like in recovery in my extended family, and none of this was recent, but when I was a little kid. I remember that a lot of the AA like anniversaries that I went to when I was like 12, for an aunt or whoever, we're in these great people, excellent, excellent vibe, vibes going on, lovely healing in like a basement with no windows, like it, you know, and and this is just has such a positive beat to it, you know, and I bring candy and it's right next to the cafeteria. There's all kinds of buzz. It's good. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, there's definitely, well, the candy, but when we, the Halloween thing is huge. And so it's all well-being, all of it is well-being oriented. I just kind of, sometimes I kind of sneak it in there and I don't really know. Now they do. Now they do. (laughs) One of the things I remember when I was listening to you on the panel and other people, other panelists that were there, they were talking about how the counseling centers can't be like the only answer. You know, I think that's one of the things that's so frustrating is that college students, I deal a lot with college students who are grieving, but with any mental health issue, they go to someone that they trust, their teacher, an advisor, their coach, their whoever, right? And they tell them that they're going through something. And the first thought of that person is, let me take you to the counseling center, or let's go make an appointment, which is not a bad thing. And I think that those people are really trying to do right by them. But oftentimes, there's a wait list, there's, you know, a max sessions of, you know, five or six sessions that they can get. And sometimes they don't actually need the counseling center, they just need an ear, you know, one time or a couple times, whatever. So I love the idea of these clubs, because it fills in this gap, you know, it's not one or the other, like that you're well, or you're not well, Mm -hmm. that you are, you know, you're fine, or you need the counseling center. There's this whole, you know, spectrum of supports that are really available. I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, some of the supports that you've thought about or that are available maybe at Champaign College. Yeah, first of all, Mandy, too, I like that I like that you use the word spectrum, because I use that on a daily basis Mm -hmm. in my Minecraft class, because rarely do things happen here or here, right? right? There's a whole middle. Mm -hmm. And so of course, we're back to the support thing. When we say the the, the support group, at least with the young adult, it it implies that there's brokenness there or something's wrong with you. So, so having things called be called a club or a meeting instead of a session or an appointment to matters. And the other thing I think you were sort of um, alluding to is that in the gray area, it's not always and counseling is a good thing. I'm a big fan. Okay. Just to be really clear. Although it doesn't always have to be, you know, that it can be in the middle or it can be both. Yep. And the thing with the club is that it's also students helping students, you know, not, not, not in a therapy way that's going to bring them down a, a, a wrong road. They're not qualified for, right. But it's more just the vault they're, they're willing to be vulnerable on a very appropriate level. Cause I'm right there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or they're sharing experiences. And I, I tell you one happened 
recently, and it, the workshop was, or the meeting, this was a meeting, a defense meeting, was how to be yourself. And that was actually, several students asked me to do one on that. And it had an activity with it where I bought white mask, just plain white mask with, you know, eyes and lots of paint. It was a little messy, but it was very good. And they had to paint what they, for what they perceived other people perceiving them as, you know, all the stuff, all the expectations and pressure and all of it, right? And the world and just social media, everything. And that inside, they painted what they actually, the real deal with how they saw themselves and everything. And so where I'm actually going with this is that I couldn't have scripted this better. I had a senior wizard kind of reach out to a freshman, a first year wizard. And you could tell Mandy by this young man's body, it took him everything he had in him to get there socially, everything just to get out of the door from the isolation we're all used to because he was in social emotional agony and it helped that there was that there was a, a safe space which is what this senior said I didn't even plan any of this it just was this natural thing and the senior said you know I remember let's just call him John I, I remember John when I was a first year and you know it's hard when there's a friends group that's already established and you want to be part of it but you don't know you don't even know what how to you know you want to be in it but you're afraid to be rejected you don't know what to say and then if you are rejected you do all this monkey mind thinking, which takes you down a hole further, then a first year next to that one, who was in agony too, but not to the degree that one was chimed in too with, you know, yeah, and I had then I, I was I stayed in my room for a month, but then once I got out, and I joined something and it just like, and all this is is a club run by a very high energy woman in a purple wizard suit. And, and but look where it went, but look where it went. So there's your gray area. And without stigma, and I'm a big fan of counseling, it stinks that there's a stigma with that. It's just, it stinks. And the whole gray area though, Mandy, with the meetings and club words and students reaching out to students, I'm right there. So it's, you know, I'm guiding things, but you know, a lot of healing or like the beginnings, the beginnings of opening the door for healing really happened right there, making masks with other students. And I, I think all of that falls under, you know, the well-being spectrum in the in the middle. I don't know if you've ever watched the movie The Mask We Live In. Oh yes, I have actually. Okay. So it's a it's a great movie. I recommend people watch it. It used to be available on Netflix. I don't think it is anymore. They do an activity and I've actually used it sort of similar where you you know on one you, you have a mask and on one side of the mask you put on what you show the world mm-hmm. and on the other side you put what's really happening and then you put all of the masks, everybody, you know, it's anonymous, but you put, everybody puts their mask in a big bucket and then everybody pulls one out and reads them. So you don't know who's you're reading, but it's so powerful to see that all of us on the inside are very similar. We're all hiding these same insecurities and self-doubt. And, uh, you know, it could be a very powerful activity to be sitting in a room saying, we all feel like we're not good enough. We all feel like, you know, scared and fearful, even though on the other side, many of us are showing the world a different, a different image. Oh, sure. And especially, you know, with the age differences, I know many, I'm a fabulous 57. And even when we're, you know, seasoned adults, sometimes even have difficulty in certain circumstances, maybe that may be intimidating with a power differential, you know, whatever. But the, as you are well aware, Mandy, this age group from 18 to like 23, 24 are in the, they're just at the epicenter for mental health 
stuff happening. Yes, so are. if you, you know, versus you and I have like an ability, not that it, it can't be hard sometimes, we have an ability to see around the corner mm-hmm. a little bit, whereas this age group really isn't quite there yet. And even cognitively speaking, as I'm sure you're aware, their prefrontal cortex isn't developed until they're 25. And so, and, and this, the, you know, seven, I think it, I just read that yesterday with the podcast, I was interviewing somebody, 75% of mental health, I don't like the word disorder, so I got to stay away from that one. Mental health, you know, challenges happen, you know, that traditional college age. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's a prime, very vulnerable age, which is why I think it's so important that we're thinking outside of the box about how we can support people. You know, it's always been a a vulnerable age, but I think in the past couple of years with the pandemic, it has even been worse. So we want to, we really need to think about other ways to support them. I know we were talking earlier about, you know, other creative ways that, you know, I think clubs in general, I think are an amazing way for students to be able to express themselves, find, you know, connections with other people. If you are, you know, you like to make pottery and you join a pottery club and you make a friend in the pottery club, you already have an interest in common and that, you know, and then also like creating the pottery can also be a way for you to, to express feelings and, and get out feelings and all of that stuff. So clubs I think are great. And I, you know, I think there's been a lot of struggle in the past couple of years with, you know, keeping clubs open and doing them in person and staffing them and all of that stuff. But I have felt like that it's so important now, even more than ever. So I don't know if you found that there's been other clubs or things that other students have talked about that have been really powerful for them. Yeah. And like you said, Manny, like, you know, defense has kind of a, you know, well-being theme. And as we talked about, and sometimes there's just trivia night or whatever, but really what you're think, I think you're getting to, which is really the key is the connection piece and it can also help we have a lot of neurodiverse students too which just adds another element but like with doing the art things the pottery or the mass we were talking about especially with that young man I was talking about too when they when they can do something at the same time and not have to make eye contact especially for the young adult on this on the autism spectrum because that isn't something that's comfortable for them usually anyway they're more, they're freer to really, to be themselves and, and to talk. But even outside of that, if it's, if we have a, the board, we have a board game club that's popular too. And just sitting and, and being next to other students in 3D, not looking through a screen after the, all the isolation and damage that that's caused, I think is huge. Absolutely. Even sitting at the cafeteria when we were to going all the time is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was actually saying, I wrote a blog about it last week that I went to a concert this past weekend. I actually went to two concerts this past weekend and I was so looking forward to them and it felt so normal and like stuff we haven't done. And in the middle of the Billy Joel concert, I I know it was was quite cool. Literally in the middle of the concert, I got this like very overwhelming Mm -hmm. sense of anxiety. Like I didn't realize how much I've missed this. And it just made me realize all of the things that I've missed. Like it was so overwhelming. You know, when you're kind of in it, you don't even realize, you know, you have to like step away for a minute to be. So I think we're just starting to process all of that the trauma and the loneliness and the isolation that we've all been through. And as college students are getting back to being on campus and engaging in activities again, I wouldn't be surprised that we see more, you know, mental health challenges than we've seen in the past. Oh, I, I think you're right. And I, as I think you and I were talking about too, even world closing, this was already the most anxious and depressed generation of young adults the United States at least has ever 
ever seen before. And then the pandemic hits. And then, of course, you know, some people will say, oh, the pandemic is almost like a trauma. It's not almost like a trauma. It is a trauma, right? Because what defines trauma, as you're well aware, being a grief support professional, is that um, trauma is defined by anything that overrides the mind's ability to cope, which then actually rewires, you know, certain parts of the brain. And so the pandemic has done that. You know, think of all the screen learning for the little kids, middle childhood kids, teenagers and young adults. And, and what it's done to seasoned adults, we even have the ability to handle it better. We're going to be seeing a lot. It's not, we're not done yet. No. I was, uh, I was telling somebody, I was talking to a financial aid advisor at a large public school who was saying that kids who have done really poorly academically may lose their scholarship money and they will not use the coronavirus as an excuse. So if your student comes to this financial aid office and says, I've been really struggling because of the pandemic, I couldn't concentrate. It was hard to get back into class. They will not, they said they need a better excuse than that. No. And I thought, what's better? I mean, better, no. you know, it's unfortunate they, that this woman thought we're going back to normal. So everything's going to go back to normal where kids like, are really not. <laughs> yeah snap yeah. your fingers and it's or I'm thinking because I you know 50 say like bewitched just wiggle her nose like that and it's all well I'll, I will I will tell you that I've seen with with my students that they're very I was just saying this to that colleague I interviewed yesterday they, they're happy very happy to be back they're very engaged they're talking in class they're in it they're in it to win it but there's definitely an issue with follow-through Mm-hmm. with turning in assignments. And I've talked with other colleagues and we're most of us who I've talked to are seeing it too. It's yeah. kind of like, there's a disconnect. I'm here, I'm talking, I'm interested, but I've got like five zeros racked up because I haven't turned anything in. And there's this, it's like the bandwidth thing. It's just, it's, it, and, and also it, I've got a friend who teaches middle school down in Massachusetts. And she said her middle schoolers literally don't know how to be in a classroom. They, they cause they're used to being able to text and get up and get a cookie and walk the dog or whatever. You know, and then lastly, to thread it all together, because uh, I try to think of listeners may not all be the same age kids, right? I, uh, we, we have a, a family a f- uh, family that we know, and one of their young adult daughters is, is teaching first or second grade in a very rural area. And she, literally half of her kids, and it's a small class, I think there's like 12 of them, half of the students, and more than that, never mind. I think she told me three or four out of the 12 can, can read. Wow. So, so, and then she was talk. she's a sweetheart. We, she was telling us, it's not just the academic there because any, they're all behind two years, basically, regardless of the age. Right. She said, but it's not just that they can't read They're they're, they're expressing shame that they can't read that they're behind. Like the emotional part just kills you when you hear the stories. Yes. Cause they feel like what's, what's the matter with me? that I can't read yet. When, when, sure when they've been isolated. The I said, I'm sure that's across the board, you know, not just the kids who are learning how to read, but the college students who think they're supposed to be able to mm-hmm. go to five classes and manage all of the work and turn in all of their assignments on time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the, sh- I'm such an, I'm such an, an anti-shame campaign, Mandy. I, like in my opinion, if we could eradicate shame off the face of this earth, we'd have very few problems. So just to, to, I had a, one of my just rock well, they're all rock stars. One of my just super, super duper seniors came into me last semester and I've had her for like three classes and she's very likable, very intelligent, 
just very into it and self-conscious about her grades. And she came in an inch from tears. And she was saying, this was, she was in a, in a Minecraft class last semester. And she said, professor, what's, what's the matter with me? I can't remember. You just said it, you know, a week ago that this was due. And I can't, I can't remember. And she's been an A student. She's a communicator. She's all over it, you know, with team projects. And here, this amazing young adult is sitting next to me in my office and, and, and just like feeling like she's not measuring up. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we had this whole talk. You know, the bar, set the bar, do your best. Yep. It's one you can always meet. Mm-hmm. But she, it was, it, she just was, she was full of anxiety and um, shame. You know, that feeling of being defective and flawed and something's wrong with you. That, that's what was killing me. And I don't, you know, I don't know the answer for it because, you know, every, every teacher can't give every student all A's and, and I, you know, I, I'm an adjunct teacher myself. So I struggle sometimes like, you know, if somebody says to me, I couldn't get the assignment done on time. I, you know, my mom was sick and I was home taking care of her. Okay. Tell me when you can turn the assignment in. I'm not, you know, and yet I know lots of other teachers who say, you know, well, I gave you a week and you should have gotten it done within that week. That's why I gave you a whole week to do it. I don't know what the right answer is. You know, um, am I being too easy? Are the other teachers being too hard? Where do we, um, you know, how can we support students? This is probably a whole other conversation, but, you know, how do we support students as staff holding them accountable and yet not shaming them for things that are really out of their control? Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually a conversation that um, I have, we have, my colleagues and I have a, a lot. I, and I, I don't think it's easy. I know for, I've been at it for 12 years now and I'm still learning. For me, it's a case by case basis because I do hold students accountable. I also remind them that the whole class has been up since before class started. So I kind of encourage the, the, uh, you know, looking at the syllabus. I also, I am a handholder too. So I'm kind of in the middle because I do a weekly announcement. So I say, don't lean on it, but this will remind you it's short and sweet. Don't miss it. And then uh, with extensions, I tell them right from the beginning, it has to be, and it's a case by case, Mm -hmm. right? you know, physical or mental health, I view those the same, but, you know, for being overwhelmed, I can't, that gotta be fair to everybody. Everybody's overwhelmed, you know, but if you're sick physically or mentally, you know, I've, I, I had a, a, a student last semester with a family member with a terminal illness, a young family member too. And actually that young man didn't ask me for anything, but obviously, you know, it's a case by case situation because the free for all thing, in my opinion, doesn't work well either because they want the parameters they want consistent, especially with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, it's gray and you got to kind of, that word pivot is so overused, but you know, you got to kind of move and shift and, and, and bend yet not to a point where it's counterproductive. I know it is. It's a really hard balance that I think it is. Know, staff and students are all trying to find one other thing I was thinking about um, or that we talked about earlier was social media. I think, you know, those of us that are, you know, over 40 or so probably have a, a less positive view of social media. And, you know, I, I'm trying to remember like what my parents said when I was little, like it's what they, I remember them saying things like, it's not like it was when I was a kid. And, you know, I hear myself saying that to my own children as well, because 
I didn't have social media when I was growing up. And I think about all of the dangers and, uh, you know, the correlation between social media and low self-esteem. And But I have to assume that there's some good things about it, too. I mean, I use it as a way to communicate and connect with young people. I don't know if you what you think about social media or ways that you might use it to, to stay connected in a positive way with your students. Um, that is a tough one, too, Mandy. I, I think and I did say this because I think Honestly, it's more harmful than not, but I do think it has some positives to it. And certainly when we were in the pandemic, I don't know if this is social media, but the inter- the technology in general, we wouldn't have been able to keep the education going. You know, not that it's as good through a screen because empirically, demonst- you know, we know it isn't, yep. but it was still something. I mean, if this happened, even though I'm a, uh, older than you are, like back when we were, you know, 10, it would have just shut down everything. You know, yep. just, so at least there's a way to to still, we still did it, even though it was far from ideal. And I think that's one big positive. And with students being isolated in their dorm rooms, you know, with all the really, and, and necessarily so in the beginning, you know, like March, 2020 and April and May, when they weren't allowed to crisscross to other dorms and um, at least they were able to talk in that way. So that would be, I guess, my positives. Um, that said though, I, I actually did research on this in 2018 and the results were, uh, I guess as a researcher, you know, you obviously want to find what you're out to look for. Um, But it was really mixed for me because, you know, it was everything we predicted, the anxiety, the depression, distractibility and impulsivity and our biggest claim to fame, which actually absolutely just leveled me. I was walking around pacing because was as the emotional investment in social media went up, life satisfaction just plummeted. So basically kids were hating their lives. You know, they, they get, they get sucked into the, the social comparison mm-hmm. and the pressure to be connected 24 seven to that, it, that just was heartbreaking, you know? So are there some positives? Of course, in life rarely is anything, you know, mm-hmm. however, um, I, the damage, the damage is extensive really, to be honest. Yeah. And, can be. Right. It can be. I mean, I'll if say- somebody's on there for an hour or two, it's not as bad as, but as you, I'm sure you know, the teenagers, nine hours a day is what they're telling, telling us now. Not that, think of time seven, right? And that's not work or school. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad. You know, it's some good, some good, mm-hmm. but a lot of not so good. Yeah. I was going to say one good is that I got to meet you. I think one of the, the real positives of the whole pandemic is that it's made certainly my world a little bit smaller um, because I can sit here in my basement and yet, you know, meet really interesting people and connect with them. And that's been certainly a positive for me. Well, it's been wonderful to meet you too, Mandy. And I would, I would agree. I was thinking in young adult world when you asked the question, but um, in seasoned adult world, (laughs) you know, professional, I would really agree with that. And I, because we were all pushed. That's also why I started my, my podcast Mm -hmm. because I I was in this, my other role of well-being. I'm like, how do I support everybody? Like, but the world is closed. Yep. That was in 100% in person, going to classrooms, do cool things. I couldn't do any of it. And that podcast, I ended up meeting also very cool people. And, um, and then also like about a year at, or maybe it was less than that, I guess. It's they're all blending together, but maybe it was like four or five months after I started to do webinars and meet, be, you know, meet really cool professionals. And they, of course, are loaded with intelligence and good ideas. And then that expanded, you know, expanded my whole knowledge base. Yep. So professionally speaking, 
I would say that was one really big positive because I wouldn't have resided online like that if I wasn't forced to be. Yes, I agree. So that's been really nice. Um, Tell us a little bit about your podcast and how people can find it and find you if they have additional questions or want to reach out. Oh, sure. Um, uh, There's the Minecraft YouTube channel. I guess I can I can send that to you. The Minecraft YouTube channel is, you know, YouTube. And then there's the Minecraft podcast, which can also be seen on YouTube and Apple Play and all those. And basically, not a lot of it is kind of snippets or related to what we do in the class. Like it isn't a class, but it's it, the themes are all the themes are all well-being. Good. They're all good stuff. Yeah, you know, they kind of feed your your um, living living your best life as your very highest version of yourself. Well, thanks for coming on the show. This was a really great conversation. I was really glad to have you. Well, Mandy, I'm so I'm just so glad to meet you. It's amazing how. The universe just, you know what I mean? Like you just cross paths with people and then it's, you're like, wow, you know, and, and it came, it did, that did come, like you said, that's a big positive. It came directly out of the whole, because that's how I met um, Alex who got me onto the, and the, all through that, the whole pandemic thing. So yep. thank you. Big thank yous for, for um, putting this all together. Absolutely. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing. I think it's, it's great. And I know. There must be a bunch of kids in Vermont that are very lucky to have you. Well, I, uh, if you make a difference in one life, as they say, right? That's right. That's right. Here to Dr. Quinn for this really interesting conversation. Join us next week when I speak with Susan Angel Miller about her book, Permission to Thrive. She wrote it after the death of her teenage daughter. We're going to talk about that experience and the experience of post-traumatic growth Uh, which some of you may or may not have heard of, but we're going to talk about her experience of post-traumatic growth after a devastating loss. So I hope you will join us then. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.